Titus chapter 3, if you want to turn there, we'll be in verses 8 through 11 this morning. Toward the end of this epistle to Titus, Paul gives some instructions on things to affirm and things to avoid. And let's begin reading verses 8 down through 11. Titus chapter 3 says this, This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and striving about the law, for they are unprofitable in vain. A man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition reject, knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth, being condemned of himself. And so we see here some things that we ought to affirm or in things that we ought to avoid. And certainly we understand there's things as Christians we ought to avoid. But sometimes we tend to get caught up in those things. Our flesh enjoys those. We understand the Word of God teaches us that our flesh is weak. And sometimes it feels good to participate in things that we ought not to. But certainly we need to give attention to the things that we should do. We are to be careful to maintain good works, the Word of God says. And... Paul describes these things that are good and unprofitable and things that are unprofitable in vain. And so I think it would do us well to identify those things, avoid those things that are not of profit, those things that are vain, and to, as the Word of God tells us, to be careful to maintain those things which are good. And so let's examine them a little bit this morning by beginning with what is profitable. It says you're careful to maintain good works. And so this is certainly something that that Paul wanted Timothy to affirm along with the things that he's already addressed in this this book to those that have come to know Christ. And um, this idea of good works is uh, kind of beat into Titus as the apostle writes this letter to him. We see it in verse 7 of chapter 2. Verse 14 in chapter 2, verse 1 of chapter 3, and verse 14, and then here in our text this morning. And so uh, the idea of good works was, was certainly uh, being reminded or brought up again and again in, the, in, this, in this epistle to Titus. Uh, <clears throat> but are we careful to maintain good works? Do we give attention to that matter? Uh, are we careful? Do we uh, put effort into it? Uh, the idea of the word maintain is to practice. Do we practice good works? And I know I've, I think I've used it, the term recently multiple times, but we ought to practice what we preach. Uh, oftentimes we're good at, at preaching. But what happens when we get behind the closed door? What happens when we get in our private Christian life? Are we practicing those things that we preach? Uh, Do we give care? Do we exercise thought in practicing good works? Uh, Are we faithful to be uh, one that demonstrates good works? Uh, The Word tells us here that it's good and profitable. And it says, for all men, profitable unto men. These doctrines which the, 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 the Apostle has stated were not mere matters of speculation, but they were fitted to promote human happiness, and they should constantly be taught. Um, there is no true life apart from Christ. 
And so if we don't do it the way that God has ordained with good works, we're not really going to enjoy life. Well, we, we talk about the abundant life, and, and that begins at obedience. We must be obedient to God and His Word if we want to expect to enjoy the abundant life that He has available to us. And so uh, the role of good works, we, we need to understand the purpose of good works. And I make the assumption that most, if not all here this morning, understand good works are not done to buy or to earn our way to heaven or to earn favor with God. Uh, that's not what we're talking about this morning. Uh, there was not going to be any scale at the end of our life in the good things that we did over here and the bad things over here. And, and by some way we can, uh, you know, it's not good versus bad. And then uh, we determine our eternal destiny based on what we've accomplished here in life. That's not what this is. Um, God saves us by His grace. Uh, it's certainly not by works. For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Ain't nobody going to get to heaven and say, look what I did. Look how I got here. That's not going to happen. Uh, the best you have is, is trash. It's filthy rags. You have nothing to offer to God in and of yourself. It's all through Christ and, and His finished work on the cross. And we looked at it verses 4 through 7 last week, but after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Christ Jesus our Savior, that, being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And so this morning, we're not talking about being a good person to earn your way to heaven. We're talking about uh, being a workmanship. Because in Christ, we are created to work. Um, <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 15, 2-4 says this, By which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory that I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That's the gospel, understanding that and receiving that, that thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. That's how we get saved. It's by the finished work of Christ. But look at what Ephesians 2.10. We often look at Ephesians 2.8 and 9. But look what 2.10 says. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. God has ordained that we should walk in works, good works. Back in chapter 2 of Titus, who gave himself for us, speaking of Christ, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. In Christ, we have been ordained to good works. And the apostle here says we need to be careful to maintain them. We need to be careful that we're practicing those things. So why are we doing them? If it's not to earn our way to heaven, why do we do them? Well, to bring glory to the Lord. We know, according to Matthew, that if our light is shining before men, they may see our good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Listen, it's about the bringing glory to God and honoring our God with how we're living and living in a way that's pleasing to Him. Uh, don't you want to honor the Lord? The love of Christ constraineth us, the Word of God tells us. If you truly understand what Christ did for you, it will 
provoke you. It will push you in, into doing that which is right and that which is good. 1 Peter 2, verse 11, Beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So the way that we conduct ourselves and the good works that we accomplish can bring glory to God. And listen, that can bring people to Christ. Uh, Oftentimes, uh, we see our Lord doing things for people physically. Why? So He can meet the spiritual need that they truly have. And and I think that's the true uh, for us today. Uh, We see an example in in Peter, in 1 Peter later on. We looked at those verses in, in chapter 2, but verse 3, we see that the chaste conversation of the wife can win a lost husband. People can observe how we conduct ourselves and how we live, the good works we do, if we want to put it that way. They can see that, and it can cause them to understand that there is a God in heaven. And if we express those things, they can come to know Christ because we fed them, we've clothed them, whatever the case may be. Uh, Our works demonstrate a living nature of our faith. Uh, James, uh, I love the book of James. James chapter 2, verse 14 through 17. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he have faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto him, or unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so, faith, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Again, God expects our faith to be followed up with obedience in the doing of those things, being doers of the word, uh, the good works that oftentimes uh, we do. Your good works are necessary if you want to be like Christ. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? How can we say that that Jesus is our Lord, He's our Master, that we serve Him and we're not obedient to His commandments? We're not obedient to those things that He asks us to do. It's contrary. It doesn't go together. Look at what Acts 10.38 says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Our Savior did good. Uh, certainly, we, I don't think anybody would question that this morning. Uh, but oftentimes, again, he was doing those things. Why? To bring glory to the Father. And to meet the spiritual need that somebody had. Uh, let me be careful. I don't want to get in trouble here. I don't want anybody to misunderstand me. But, and this is my experience in Independent Baptist churches. We want to preach, and we want to preach, and we got to tell people you're going to hell without Christ. And I, I agree with that 100%. But we're not very good at meeting the needs of people and being a blessing. The soup kitchens, the food pantries, uh, reaching out to those people in need. And that, listen, I'm not saying that we're all bad. That's not what I'm saying. And, and certainly I think we need to have the right balance. Because there's a lot of people doing that and they're not sharing Christ. 
So don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here this morning. But I'm afraid that we don't necessarily follow the best example of our Savior, how he was out doing good and meeting the physical needs of many people. Certainly to the end to meet their spiritual need and to bring them to a saving knowledge. But I'm afraid in many churches, that's not the case. And, and so sometimes I think we got it flipped upside down, right? There's churches that are doing all these good things for people, but they don't have the message of Christ and they're not sharing Christ. And then there's churches that have the message, but they refuse to do those things or, or maybe not refuse or, or maybe they're not taking advantage of opportunities. And so we're limiting our ability to reach people because we're not meeting them where they're at and trying to meet their needs and bring them to Christ. Because certainly they need to see those good works. And I'll read the verse here in a moment. I don't want to get ahead of my notes. But um, listen, the Lord says if we meet those needs of those people, it's like doing it unto Him. Uh, so we need to be careful. And listen, I'm not criticizing our church. Don't misunderstand me this morning. I think we're doing a good thing. I mean, we're feeding kids every Sunday. Uh, they come in in our bus routes. We're, we're meeting needs as we know about them. So don't misunderstand me. I, I'm not saying that we're wrong, but uh, listen, sometimes you can buy somebody a burger and share Christ. They have a physical need too. What, we read that verse in James. Well, if they're cold and you, you just send them away, what good has it done? Uh, people certainly have physical needs. And, and so... Look at what this says. This is a faithful saying, in these things I will that thou affirm constantly, they which have believed in God might be careful to make good works. Why? These things are good and profitable unto men. They're good and profitable unto everybody, not just people in the church. And so we must understand the role of good works in our lives. It's, it certainly is to glorify our Father and to bring people to Christ. Uh, <clears throat> What are some of the good works we can do? There are works that are more spiritual in nature than physical. Uh, there certainly are. Uh, certainly we need to tell others about God's grace and, and the saving power of Christ. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of the darkness into the marvelous light, which is... In time, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So certainly we want to share that, that message. And, and that would be a spiritual thing to do. Listen, we ought to be encouraging other Christians to do the same. We all know that, that one of the main functions of gathering on, on Sundays, as we do traditionally, is what? To exhort and encourage one another daily. While well, it is called today, uh, in Hebrews it says, we ought to be restoring the brethren, encouraging people. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Considering thyself also, lest thou also be tempted, bear ye one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. These are things that we can often do, and really bearing burdens, we can, that can be physical as well. Uh, there's been many a times, I'll, I'll never forget, I don't, we had, I think, four deer hanging in my garage a couple years ago. And I was, no kidding, getting on an airplane the next day to go out of the country. And I told the boys, we got to get these deer processed or they're going to rot, right? 
And they perhaps could have done it without me. And, uh, but I, you know, I went hunting with them. We wanted to, and I, it was three or four deer. I think it was, a, I think it was four. Colin, do you remember? Four? Yeah. So, and if you've ever processed game yourself, it can be time consuming, especially when you have four. And I'll never forget, I just felt this burden of, man, well, I don't know how they found out, but the Mitchells found out. And next thing I know, Adam Mitchell, Sherry Mitchell, and all their kids are at my house. And he's got a pretty sweet meat grinder. And uh, you basically, you could almost put the deer in their hole. In it. Um, but I'll never forget what a blessing that was. And they took, Cindy and, and Sherry were in the kitchen kind of doing some of the other stuff. Uh, after we had deboned and all that kind of stuff, they were able to prepare things for vacuum sealing and, and stuff. And I'll never forget what a great blessing that was to me. So certainly, we can bear each other's burdens physically and pray for one another, or spiritually and pray for one another, but certainly physically. And so these are things that we can do for one another. Um, we ought to be bearing the burdens of our brethren. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. And so certainly we can encourage folks, we can tell, we can share the gospel with people, and we can restore our weak brethren, but there are also some physical things in nature that we can do for people. Jesus didn't limit his work to those things that were spiritual only. And maybe this t- ties better a better place to tie into my comments earlier, but look at what Luke 7.22 says. Then Jesus answering said to them, Go your way and tell John what things ye have seen and heard, how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor, or, and to the poor the gospel is preached. And so certainly our Savior was meeting the physical needs of those people that he came in contact with. And again, I understand it. Ultimately, it's to meet the spiritual need. I, I, I understand that. And, and so that's why I'm thankful for our church, because everything that we do is based on the spiritual purpose of, of preaching the Word of God, whether that's to share the gospel with the lost or to uh, preach the Word to exhort the believers. Uh, and, and so, again, don't misunderstand me. Uh, but the Lord didn't expect his disciples to limit their good works. Look at Matthew 10. Verse 7 and 8, And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely ye have received, freely give. Man, don't you feel like you've been so blessed by the Lord of receiving the spiritual things? I mean, the gospel, your salvation costs you nothing. Certainly, give it out freely. But you know what I can't help but think about there is? Everything that we have, God has given us materially, monetarily. Don't hold on to your money. Don't limit what God can do through you physically in the life of people because you're, you just love this money. God gave it to you freely. He's met your needs. He, and, and listen, I, God promises to meet your needs above that you can ask or even think, really. Don't be a tightwad when it comes to ministry, when it comes to uh, giving. And again, I'm not, I'm not scolding anybody here. You guys give graciously and, and faithfully. Um, I'm going to tell the church this morning, and I guess you guys will get, uh, but the Joneses, they said, please tell the church thank you for the money for the van. They appreciate it. That's a physical piece of equipment that they can use 
Spread the gospel. That's what I'm talking about this morning. There are physical things that we can do. And, and as I mentioned, sometimes maybe we can do a little bit better about that. And we limit the people that we're able to reach because we're unwilling to, uh, to give in the physical realm. Uh, don't be a tightwad. Matthew 25, For I was in hunger and you gave me meat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came unto me. The Lord tells us when we do those things, it's ultimately for Him. And so listen, what am I saying this morning? Look for opportunities to meet the physical needs of people, not just their spiritual need. And I know I'm not talking about people here, but in my experience, I have met people that all they want to do is beat people over the head with the gospel. Almost with this idea that everything will be fine if you just get saved, and that's not true. There will still be hardship. Their financial problems won't be solved. Their belly won't be filled. Certainly they have physical needs still, and so uh, be careful to maintain good works. Just as some may be gifted to teach or to preach, there are other gifts in the church, the gifts of ministry. Uh, Let me remind you of a few things. Romans chapter 12, uh, let's just read verses 3 through 8. It says, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. So being many are one body in Christ, and every member one of another. Look at this. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy, according to the proportion of our faith, of faith, excuse me, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on our exhortation, or he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Listen, each one of us have different gifts and abilities. And certainly in the body of Christ, we should have no lack or no need if we're all doing our part to be a giving person and to be exercising our gifts that God has given us. So what kind of good works are you doing? Are you exercising all the gifts and talents and things that God's given you in this body and in our community to share Christ? Good works are certainly profitable and should be a major focus in our service to God as His disciples. I don't think there's any question about that. On the other hand, there's things that we should diligently avoid, the Word of God tells us. What is unprofitable? Verse 9 says this, but avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and striving about the law for they are unprofitable in vain. So we're told to avoid these things. Foolish questions. Dull or simply stupid questions. That's what the dictionary says, not me. I like it though. Uh, Strong's has the word in the definition blockhead. I'm not kidding. Like I I can get after that kind of vocabulary. I don't understand that. You've heard this, the, the, the saying, there are no stupid questions. But according to the Apostle Paul, according to God, there are. And we can consume ourselves with these things. Uh, and they're unprofitable, the Word of God tells us. Genealogies, the idea of counting out your descendants or tracing generations and, 
and contentions, uh, quarrels or variants, striving about the law, it says here, fighting about legal matters, the Mosaic law and otherwise. We know that they would bind themselves with those things that God had. Jesus was the fulfilling of the law and we need to rest content in that. Look, at these things are unprofitable and vain. I don't know if we need to define unprofitable this morning, but it literally means useless. It's unprofitable. It's a waste. And sometimes we consume ourselves with contentions. We consume ourselves with these, these foolish questions and things that are trivial matters. And we get at variance with one another. And, and, and certainly genealogies and Listen, there's, you can go a lot of wrong ways with that kind of stuff. Uh, even some Baptists have. Um, but the Word of God tells us they're useless. It's empty. It's profitless or idle. So to consume ourselves with such things would be foolish. We are told here to avoid those things. Could we be guilty of engaging in such foolishness? None of us want to openly ever admit that we're being foolish. But the reality is, at times, these things can be noted in in the lives of Christians. Sometimes in in a a leadership position, you see it a little bit more than others. Because people bring you spiritual problems, but the reality is, it's just foolish. And it shows their immaturity in Christ, if you will. Look what happens to those that entertain such things in verse 11. Knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth, being condemned of himself. Boy, that's not a very exciting description of... I mean, I certainly don't want to be described as such. They're subverted, they're warped, they're perverted, uh, being condemned of himself. And, and his own course in attempting a divisive or schism in the church shows him that it is right that he should be separated from the the, the communion of the Christians. Well, they should be separated. Paul warned Timothy repeatedly against this. I got several scriptures here for you. These things cause disputes rather than godly edification. Boy, aren't we here for the edification of the saints and, and to, to strive to be more godly and more Christ-like? Look what First Timothy chapter 1, verses 3-4. through 4. And I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus... When I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith. So do. Later on in 1 Timothy chapter 6, 3-5, through it says, If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our... Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which is according to godliness... He is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, uh, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmising, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness from such withdraw thyself. This is a serious issue. It causes a lot of problems in the lives of Christians. It's caused some to stray from the faith. Look at where 1 Timothy 6, later on in chapter 6, in verse 20, 21, O Timothy, keep that which committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science false, falsely so caused, so called, excuse me, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. This has caused people to err from the truth. In 2 Timothy, 
uh, it leads to the subverting of others. Of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. The idea of subverting is the catastrophe or the destruction or the, the detriment of those that hear it. But here's one that I, I think should ought to be very convicting to us. 2 Timothy 2.16 But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. These things just drive us into more ungodliness. Here's what Albert Barnes says. Their tendency is to alienate the soul from God and lead to impiety. Such kinds of disputations are not merely a waste of time. They are productive of positive mischief. A man fond of contention in religious things is seldom one who much loves the practical duties of piety or any very deep sense of distinction between right and wrong. Listen to this. You will not usually look for him in the place of prayer, nor can you expect his aid in the conversion of sinners, nor will you find that he has any very strict views of religious obligation. These are immature people. They're not spiritual. They're not praying. They're not reaching sinners. They're not sharing the gospel. In 2 Timothy, it says their word will eat as doth a canker. It's like a cancer that grows and, and destroys things. They generate strifes in 2 Timothy 2.23. Uh, I might have to stop here. I'm not quite through my notes, but, well, I think we can make it. So what are some alternatives to the unprofitable and vain conduct? Godly edification that produces love from a pure heart. 1 Timothy 1, 4 through 6, Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies. We read this verse earlier, which minister questions. But look what it says. Rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. Boy, we need to be edifying godliness, avoiding these things that we might be an encouragement and a blessing to those. Look what it says. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and a good conscience and faith unfeigned. Boy, these are the exact polar opposite of those that are gendering strifes and, and foolish questions. Wholesome words such as the words of our Lord. The doctrine which accords to godliness. If a man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, look at what it says, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. 1 Timothy 6.3. Those are the things that we are. The words of the Lord, you can't go wrong using those. We need to be serious about avoiding things that are unprofitable and doing those things that are profitable. And certainly we need to correct those that are in opposition with gentleness. Uh, you guys are familiar with 2 Timothy 2.24. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive. By him is at his, at his will. Listen, we can disagree but not be disagreeable. We can contend for the faith without being contentious. And so we need to use ourselves unto godly edification, encouraging those. Will you engage in godly edification or will you engage in that which is unprofitable in foolish conduct? Paul's words in our text relate to Titus' instruction to those things, 
or to set those things in order that are wanting. Paul charged him with speaking those things that become sound doctrine. Those things that are profitable, they're wholesome, they're healthy. And certainly we know preachers would do well to take Paul's word to heart and and to carry these things forward in their ministry. But I want you to understand, Paul's word should not be heeded only by the preachers, but by all. All Christians should see the value of good works and be diligent to do them. Those things that are profitable. We need to understand the the harm of foolish questions and seek to avoid those things. Every disciple of Christ does well to take Paul's words to heart as they follow Jesus. And so this morning as we close, may we all be careful to maintain good works and to avoid foolish conduct. Let's pray.